What makes a truck good? Sounds like a simple question, right? Is it the motor, the suspension, fuel economy, comfort and style, or pure capability? Could you have all of the above? And what if you already had most of the above, but still needed to make improvements? That's the challenge Toyota faced when they sat down to create the 2022 Tundra. My name is Nick Heil. I'm a journalist and author and what you might call a Tundra enthusiast. A couple of years ago, that enthusiasm turned into full-blown obsession when, during the middle of the pandemic lockdown, I spent six months flying around the country trying to find a better version of a vehicle I already owned, a first-generation Tundra. I finally landed one of those classics, but I returned home to learn that Toyota was releasing the 2022 Tundra. The more I heard about it, the more fixated I became. The new Tundra wasn't just an update. It had been completely redesigned and re-engineered from the ground up. That's a big project, and I soon found myself on a new quest to understand why they completely overhauled a truck that, to me, was already pretty great. In the mid-2010s, when Toyota's leadership decided it was time to finally redesign and re-engineer the Tundra, their biggest problem was that, in a way, they'd painted themselves into a corner. Their old trucks, they were really good. They were great at hauling, they were super capable off-road, and some of them were even going a million miles. Where do you go from there? Where Toyota decided to go, where the market was going, was to make something that hauled and towed like a truck but felt more like a limousine. The market changed so much between the late 2000s and the early uh, 2010s uh, that you can really see. We sort of just had to stay in our niche uh, resources wise. This is Steven Provost, vehicle performance leader at Toyota. He says that when it came to being a truck, the second generation Tundra was out ahead of the field. But when it came to comfort, the second generation Tundra was just trying to keep up. So, you know, we had to keep doing some some small improvements and, and keep the truck competitive, but uh, that platform, that design just really didn't have the opportunity to go premium. The difference between a smooth riding luxury SUV and your typical traditional work truck largely comes down to the rear suspension. It used to be that in order to load up the bed of a truck, you had to have stiff, strong leaf or coil springs that could support a load of cement or gravel. But those shocks would give the truck a stiff, jittery feeling ride. Most trucks actually drive better with a few thousand pounds in the bed. An SUV, on the other hand, doesn't need super stiff springs in the back. So you can design the suspension around the ride quality and give the car a plush, smooth feel. But you can't just swap out the suspension on the back of a truck to improve the ride you have to redesign the frame to accommodate the suspension. And once you've changed the frame, you're pretty much looking at a whole new platform. So that's what Toyota was going for when it started to redesign the Tundra, a truck that drove like a luxury vehicle. Luckily, this was something they had already built. They wanted to make the Tundra more like the Toyota Land Cruiser. So we knew that with the market going more premium, looking at our buyer demographic, that it really made sense to target, um, you know, premium, premium SUVs, uh, premium trucks. You know, one of our competitors had already tried to kind of leapfrog the existing uh, big players by going to a more SUV style architecture and 
Land Cruiser provided that uh, style for us. Toyota Land Cruisers are iconic. People love them because they are synonymous with rugged reliability and a symbol of quality without compromise. They're also timeless. If you've ever seen footage of early off-road vehicles bouncing around Africa or Australia, there's a good chance it's a Land Cruiser. Who needs ropes? Not the Land Cruiser. Toyota built this car to take the toughest pounding you can give it. Land Cruisers continue to be one of the most comfortable, dependable, and luxurious vehicles on the road or off it. But they definitely didn't start out that way. When when they first started producing the, the Land Cruisers, they were incredibly austere vehicles. It was reflective of the early 50s. Uh, there was limited availability of materials, so they made them very, very simple. But Toyota from the beginning focused on reliability, and that's what became the hallmark of the Land Cruiser to today. Scott Brady is the creator of Overland Journal and a Land Cruiser fanatic. He's driven one on all seven continents, the same one on all seven continents. Scott will tell you that the current comfort and luxury that the Land Cruiser is known for now wasn't exactly a hallmark of the early models. They were leaf-sprung, solid-axle, body-on-frame vehicles with very little suspension travel. And they were designed to be so durable that they kind of um, didn't think about what the occupant might need to endure. Um, I think about I think about my my FJ40, which was a 1977, and it was a little bit better than the earlier ones. But I've driven some really old Land Cruisers, and they are so stiff. Uh, but it was amazing what was asked of them. I mean, what they would tow and what they would be used for. Uh, Toyota really needed to make them strong. And that sometimes went at the, at the cost of, of comfort. Those early Land Cruisers looked and felt a lot like the old Willys Jeeps from World War II. Open tops, solid axles, but the ideas behind them were completely different. The Jeep was never intended to carry a lot of weight or really to be used much on its own. Uh, I think that's the biggest difference between the early Jeeps and the Land Cruisers was the early Jeeps were intended to be in convoy, um, where if they had mechanical failures, they could get support from within the convoy. So they were intentionally light for transport, um, whereas the Land Cruisers were were heavier. And by the mid-50s, they already had a really powerful six-cylinder engine, which is, some, which is something that the, the Jeep didn't have at that point in time either. Jeeps weren't highly reliable, but they were lightweight and easy to fix. Land Cruisers, on the other hand, prioritized reliability and durability, and they soon became the preferred vehicle in the outback, on safari, on Arctic expeditions, or to study remote archaeology. If your life might depend on your vehicle, you took a Land Cruiser. That's still true today. Just, just for someone to be on the manufacturing line of the Land Cruiser, requires them to essentially be a master assembly line worker for Toyota in order to even start working on the Land Cruiser. And when I was in Nagoya, Japan, and I watched Land Cruisers coming off the line, it was incredible to see their their passion and their attention to detail with the vehicle. Most manufacturers have an entire lot that they can put vehicles that are maybe have slight rejections or need to be reworked or or maybe you're waiting for parts or they didn't meet quality controls. At the Land Cruiser plant, they have three parking spots. Uh, when the second parking spot is filled, they shut down the whole plant until they figure out what's going wrong. 
So it's just it's just a completely different mindset around the Land Cruiser. It's not cheap to make a car to this standard. As demand increased, the Land Cruiser crept up in price. And at those prices, buyers started expecting more from their vehicles, more comfort, a better ride, and an improved interior. Land Cruiser has definitely played both sides because what they recognize is that diplomats need to be hauled around, families, maybe affluent families want something that again, starts every time, super reliable and durable, um, but is a little bit more luxurious and a little bit more comfortable for long distance travel. Over the decades, at least in North America, the Land Cruiser went from being the standard bearer of ruggedness and off-road capability to a full-featured luxury vehicle. That's why Toyota engineers turned to it when they started designing their newest full-size pickup truck. The Land Cruiser is an interesting vehicle because its its origins are very kind of utilitarian, but it it, it evolved into much more of a luxury vehicle. Like it's it's really taken off as a kind of gold standard of like, you know, full-size, oversized SUV luxury. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if the kind of off-road performance utilitarian side of it migrated to something like the Tundra. The, the simple answer is yes. This is Mike Swears, lead engineer for most of Toyota's off-road vehicles. But we as a company, and as I was in charge of that platform, also recognized that we might have taken Land Cruiser too far. If from a luxury standpoint, we still offer a lot of luxury, luxury in it, but it was this raw, capable vehicle. Right, right. That in Australia they're using it in the outback. In the Middle East they're using it in in remote areas. Right. And in U.S. In the U.S. it's more like Bel Air. <laughs> it was yeah. It was a street princess. It, it never never was in four wheel drive. As the Land Cruiser became known more for luxury than utility. Toyota gave it to Lexus and dubbed it the LX. And if you missed the Land Cruiser, which was discontinued in 2021, Mike says what you probably want is a new Tundra. The Land Cruiser 300, the new Land Cruiser 300 is off the F1 platform. The underpinnings is the same as Tundra's underpinnings, that especially the front and the rear of the platform. We just stretched out uh, the center section of that frame to accommodate the different wheelbase. The heart and soul of the 2022 Tundra is its frame, which it shares with Land Cruiser and Sequoia. The frame impacts everything from handling to durability, to ride quality, to safety. And engineers put a lot of time and energy into perfecting this thing the average driver will likely never even think about, continuously improving designs through rigorous testing. From an engineering perspective, Toyota always has subjected the vehicles to a significant amount of durability testing. In fact, in Japan, they have several off-road courses that are exclusive to Toyota. They're protected to keep people from taking photos of the new models. And they have little versions of like the Rubicon Trail and and extensive corrugation, which is kind of the, the ripples that you see on a dirt road. Um, and then it'll also, it also has this couple hundred yard long rock quarry that they drive the vehicles into at speed and just see what breaks. And it's it's unbelievable what they subject those, those trucks to. When designing a frame, every choice is between strength and weight. 
The more metal you add reinforcing things, the stronger your frame is. But as you add weight, you start sacrificing efficiency, payload, and towing capabilities. It's a tricky balance. But as Toyota was trying to figure out how to add strength without adding weight, they figured out a way to have it both ways. Mike Swears. And and not only did we create this new frame, but we decided we're going to create a new welding process that no one's ever done before. And we came up with what we call Tajima welding. It's kind of a Japanese slang for island. It means island. The problem with regular welding is that your typical welding torch can only join two pieces of metal that are basically the same thickness. Otherwise, the torch is too hot or too cool. What Dejima welding does is use camera-guided lasers, which can switch temperatures instantly, to weld metals of different thicknesses. And then uh, we're putting a thicker piece of metal in there, and we're laser welding that in there. I love to just say lasers, but uh, we're laser welding that, that into the frame. The result is a frame that's lighter and stronger than before. Tough enough for Land Cruiser, refined enough for Sequoia, enough of both for Tundra. And by doing that, we, we really put the strength where the strength needs to be without adding a lot of mass, and we're not having that, that metal-on-metal contact. I started my career in weld, fab, weld fabrication for another company, and what I just explained, taking you know uh, two metals that are completely different thicknesses and then trying to laser weld them around corners and, and bends and that, violates every welding rule I've ever been taught. So it was, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I, I, I won't say that. I get really excited about this because it's, it's just totally new development. We're getting pretty deep in the weeds here. I know you're probably not going to be discussing the nuances of Dejima welding at your next barbecue. The important thing to take away is that that fancy new welding technology and the Land Cruiser DNA, that translates into how the new truck drives whether you're cruising on an interstate, pulling a fifth wheel, or heading out for an off-road adventure. In fact, Mike Swear says that in some ways, this 2022 Tundra exceeds the capability of the Land Cruiser. But we, to be very frank, we have a little bit, uh, what's a proper English, I don't know, more special, I'm just gonna say, uh, <laughs> more special, um, features than what I could even offer in Land Cruiser because Land Cruiser is still using hydro steering. And okay. I, I'm a big hydro steering fan. I like to know where my wheels are. Can you can you just explain what that is real quick? Hydraulic st- rack and pinion steering. So okay, it's, okay. Uh, it, you know, you've got a hydraulic pump and it's driving the steering. So as you turn, the pump is, is pushing the, the steering rack one side and the other. And so the assist is, is hydraulics. Tundra, on the other hand, has a more versatile electric steering assist. This allows Toyota engineers to add all kinds of safety features and off-road modes that they can't add to hydraulic steering. The Land Cruiser itself doesn't have the same level of safety features that Tundra has. Electric steering also allows Toyota to change when the transmission shifts on different terrain and at different speeds. It makes off-roading more fun. But when you go into multi-train select and you choose rock mode or you choose mogo mode, I'm taking advantage of what Land Cruiser can't do. And that is I can change my, my power steering calibration and I can change my brake calibration along with my ship mapping. 
And what I mean by sh shift mapping is uh, the transmission, where the transmission uh, changes gears. So uh, say you're, you're off-roading and, and you're in rock mode, the feeling is different than when you're in mogul mode, where you're maybe going a little faster. And if you're in sand mode, it, it's different. So we're, we're adjusting that steering field, just like we do when you're towing, to get rid of the understeer, uh, to really enhance what the customer is feeling. When it comes to strictly off-road performance, Tundra has lived in the Land Cruiser shadow for a long time, but with the new truck, that's starting to change. Here's Scott Brady, who's driven just about every four-wheel drive out there. Well, it's kind of a fun thing to look back on. The Tundra from the very beginning, including your Tundra, they always shared something with the Land Cruiser. So your truck has the 4.7 liter V8, which was shared with the 100 series Land Cruiser at the time. Um, so Toyota has very much grabbed from the parts bin of Land Cruiser to outfit the Tundra. And that's because the kind of the use case is similar. They needed a heavy duty vehicle. And when they've already got an engine designed for a Land Cruiser, it's a perfect application for the Tundra. Um, when you look in the second generation Tundra, many of the front suspension components were the same between the 200 series Land Cruiser and the Tundra. And then the 5.7 liter V8 was shared between the two as well. So uh, there are components that were not shared, like the rear axle wasn't the same and the transfer case wasn't the same, et cetera. But even the second generation Tundra had quite a bit of shared components. But this newest Tundra has shared components across the board. But as the Tundra's technology advances, at some point you have to wonder, could you be taking the new technology too far? They came to me and, and when they started and said, oh, you know, let's uh, put a hybrid in it. I'm like, absolutely tr no way. There's no way I'm ever going to put a hybrid in one of my trucks. Not happening. That's next time. <laughs>